All right, Psalm 130, God's word says this, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And this is the word of the Lord. We're looking at the theme and the idea of forgiveness this morning. We are experiencing and we read this experience in the psalm, something everyone in this room has experienced. And again, that being forgiveness from God. Last week, we looked at forgiveness and freedom from sins that were committed against us, uh, whether that be through trauma and abusive situations. And we looked at uh, forgiveness in that way. And now this morning, we're uh, flipping it over to look at forgiveness from our sins, where I have messed up, and forgiveness from God to me. And as we see today, the psalmist uh, writing this, no doubt, has undergone uh, something serious, a very tragic ordeal. He perhaps has sinned greatly or has seen the sins of Israel. Um, and it's big enough that the only way that he can seem to express the depths of forgiveness from God is if he pens words to paper and he writes Psalm 130. And I think as, as uh, our message continues today, we will dissect the psalm and we'll see a few different things. We will see the importance of forgiveness. There is a dire need of forgiveness in our lives. We're going to see the joys of being forgiven. There is an immeasurable joy. And then throughout this and throughout the psalm, we will see and continue to see the glory and the majesty of God. And so for our main idea for today, the central point I want us to kind of camp ourselves around is this. Asking for forgiveness from God is a necessity as it brings God great glory. Asking for forgiveness from God is a necessity as it brings him great glory. And so as we talk about forgiveness and asking for forgiveness today, I want us to just all stop and think for a moment that at some point in time, we have been in the wrong. We have sinned against God or sinned against someone else. Our motives were proven to be selfish. Our lie was found out. Uh, Our justifications for our actions were not as genuine as we may have believed. At some point in time, all of us in this room have experienced something or the other to that effect. So, So please don't hear my message today on forgiveness and think to yourself, obviously, Nate, I know I need forgiveness. I've been a Christian for 30 years. I know when I sin, I need to ask for forgiveness from God. And I emphasize, or I, I empathize with that, and I sympathize, but I want to tell you a story too. Uh, right before COVID, I was visiting uh, with friends and family in uh, Ohio, and I was staying with a mentor of mine, and we were attending an Orthodox Presbyterian church, a beautiful church, beautiful service. And on their evening service, they were also kind of talking about this idea of forgiveness, that we should ask for forgiveness when we sin. And I can remember sitting in the pew saying those same things. I've been a Christian for how long? I know. I don't struggle with this. If I sin, I immediately ask for forgiveness on the ride home or, or immediately after it happens. This is... Come on, this is like junior varsity theology. I know what I know what I'm about here. 
And next day, uh, I got into an altercation. I'm not like a fighter or anything. I'm definitely not a fighter. Uh, but like a, like a, a spat, an argument. There we go, an argument uh, with one of my friends. And I said some things that I should not have said. And I was very clearly in the wrong. And I left abruptly and angry. Uh, and on the way home, I felt this kind of still small voice in the back of my mind saying, you need to ask for forgiveness. And before that sentence was even, I was like, I don't need to ask for forgiveness. Are you kidding me? I did nothing wrong. I don't struggle with that. I, did, I don't need any of that. Are you kidding me? And then I felt almost like God, the Holy Spirit's hand smacking me across the face. And I was like, oh, apparently I do actually struggle with this idea that I need to ask for forgiveness from my sins. Um, so maybe that's you in the room. Maybe that's not. Um, but I will tell you this. Um, in my life as being a Christian, in my life of working here at this church and even at college when I would do stuff in our spiritual life department, I've been in too many conversations with too many different people who struggle with the idea of forgiveness, especially when it comes to repeated sinning. The idea of, man, I've been in this same sin for three months and I just can't seem to break it. I think God's mad at me. I'm not, I can't ask for forgiveness anymore because I'm just insulting him at this point. What, what's the point if I'm just going to mess up again next time? But today I want us to push through that, and I want us to see the joy and the beauty of God and the good news about our forgiveness. And so first I want to build a case or kind of paint a picture for us as to why we need forgiveness. Because even if you know uh, why you need forgiveness, oftentimes a, a look back uh, as to the why brings us comfort, helps reorient us. And so our first main point for this morning is this, the need for forgiveness. Again, we all in this room sin. Each and every day we sin in some different capacity. Some days more, some days less. But at the end of the day, uh, we sin. And all of our sins, I think we need to understand this, all of our sins are first and foremost committed against God. Yes, you may have wronged your neighbor. Uh, you may have fallen into temptations and sinned against yourself, even if you will. Um, You've wronged a neighbor, best friend, what have you. But first and foremost, you have sinned against God. We can easily think, if you're familiar with the Psalms or even the life of David, uh, we can easily think of David, who after committing his, his infamous sin with Bathsheba, he, he sleeps with her. Many scholars believe it was, it was a rape even. Uh, he kills her husband Uriah and then covers it all up. And then eventually the child that is born dies as a result of David's sin. But when the prophet Nathan confronts David and convicts him of his sin, David pens Psalm 51. I would encourage you to read in your own time Psalm 51, a beautiful prayer of confession and forgiveness. But hear what David says to God in verses 3 and 4, the first part of 4. He says to the Lord, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned. You might quickly interject and be like, Dude, you've killed somebody. You have slept with somebody else and a child is murdered. You have sinned not just against God, but against these other people. How dare you say something like that? But David understands first that he has gone against God and his word. Uh, Pastor John Piper, if you're familiar with him at all, or if you've been in the church here for about 12 minutes. Keith's probably quoted him at some point in time. Uh, But John Piper says this about David and his sin in this situation. He says, sin by definition in the Bible is not wrongdoing or wronging another person. It is assaulting the glory of God, rebelling against God. Sin by definition is a vertical phenomenon. 
So when David says against you, you only have I sinned, I don't think he means I didn't wrong Uriah by killing him. I didn't wrong Bathsheba by raping her. And I did not wrong the baby by being the cause of its death. What he meant was the horrible thing here ultimately is that I rebelled against God. I rejected God as my treasure. I scorned the word of God. This is what Nathan said to him when he came and pointed the finger at him. Why have you despised the word of God? That's what Nathan said. Nathan didn't say, why have you killed a man? Why have you raped a woman? He said, why have you despised the word of God? First and foremost, we have sinned against the Lord. Now, should we seek forgiveness when we have wronged somebody? Yes, absolutely. But we also need not neglect the Lord in that forgiveness. Because when I sin against a fellow Christian, a brother or sister in Christ, I have, in doing so, wronged the bride of Christ. I have wronged Jesus's bride. So what I do is I ask for forgiveness from that person, and then I go and ask for forgiveness from God, the husband. Say, I've wronged your wife. Would you please forgive me? Think about it, those of you who are married, your spouse is an extension of yourself. An insult or attack on them is an insult and attack on you. If somebody hurt Catherine, I'm going to embarrass Catherine. If somebody hurt Catherine, I would take that very, very personally. Her head is turning red. She's going to kill me later. Um, but, um, but I would take that personal. And the same instance here is when I, when, even in my own life, when I was living with my mentor uh, during COVID, I kind of got into an altercation. Not an altercation. I keep saying altercation. Uh, I'm not a fighter. Uh, <laughs> I got into a little bit of an argument um, with his wife at one point, uh, just during COVID, differing opinions and whatnot. And I kind of snapped almost. And I came and apologized later to her and said, you know, hey, I'm sorry. I've insulted you. I apologize. Would you please forgive me? And then I also went to Dan, the husband. I was like, hey, man, I just want to let you know, like, uh, I've, I offended your wife. I, I insulted her. I apologize to her, but I also want to apologize to you because that is your wife and I've wronged her um, in doing so wronged you as well. So would you please forgive me? Just a, an earthly example of that. And the same applies to the Lord. Lord, I've wronged my brother and sister in Christ, but I've also wronged you in doing so. Would you please forgive me? So there's always a need for forgiveness is what I'm trying to get across to us today. There should never come a point in our lives where we stop and go, I don't need to ask God for forgiveness. Like, Lord, the, the issue's already been handled. I already spoke to this person. I don't need to bring you into this at all. No, Piper's words. It's a vertical phenomenon. And so with that understanding kind of of a need, I want to address briefly two separate attitudes that we find towards sin when it comes to forgiveness. And the first attitude is this, uh, I have not sinned. Now, by and large, this attitude does not come around that often, very seldom. Are we ever going to meet a Christian who kind of puffs out their chest and says, I don't need to ask for forgiveness because I didn't sin. I don't ever sin. I don't struggle with sinning. Uh, maybe you were like me and I was sitting in that church saying, I really don't really struggle with this idea at all. Um, but however, we need to understand, again, if this is you, we all sin. We are all sinners. God's word, time and time again in Proverbs, calls that very person who thinks that I have not sinned a fool. Uh, in fact, actually, Proverbs says that there is more hope for a fool than for one who thinks himself wise or who thinks himself sinless. Um, but I still, nevertheless, even though this might not come up as much, I want to briefly address this point. Uh, at the risk of playing our previous point on repeat, uh, each and every one of us sin every single day and we sometimes can think i can handle that but i mean like come on guys like if david if peter if paul and if solomon these great 
paragons of the Christian faith, all with their own shortcomings, if they all can struggle with sin, be bested by sin, and confess forgiveness from the Lord, should that not also mean something to me that, hmm, I think I might have an issue with sin, or I might struggle with sin, because I'm going to be real honest. And now, in the eyes of God, we all stand on equal footing. The end of Hebrews says, Elijah, the prophet, he's just a man. But uh, in my eyes and in human eyes, let's just, Peter's better than us, okay? Peter is walking around in the book of Acts. People are leaping into his shadow, hoping to get healed by his shadow. Peter is just walking around, touching people, and they are immediately healed. If I, only thing I do, if I touch Ron Bradshaw's head, Ron's going to say, I need you to get off me. That's the only thing that's going to happen in that instance. Ron's not getting healed in that instance. Ron's leaping into my shadow. Ron's breaking an arm. He's not getting healed in that instance. Um, Okay, so Peter is just better than me on this side, in my opinion. Now, Peter is just a man. Is he... It, does, he, does he go on to be this amazing person for the Christian church and the Christian faith? Yes, absolutely. Does he go on with, with this keys of the kingdom and, and become the first pope? No, absolutely not. No, he's just a man, but he struggles with sin. And if that same person in the book of Acts, we see in the book of Galatians, and we see in what? All four gospels, this same dude struggle with sin constantly to the point where even Paul has to get into his face and say, you need to repent. Does that also say something to me? Okay, maybe I do sin a little bit. Maybe I do struggle with sin just a little bit. If these guys are are wrestling uh, with sin as much as I am. Paul even says about his sin, it's a thorn in my side. It's a thorn in my flesh. So let's just understand and humbly look at ourselves and say, okay, I do sin. Maybe I'm not as great as I thought I was. Let us seek humility and wisdom and see where we're falling short or where we have sinned. The Bible says no one's perfect. No one is righteous. No, not one. So the second attitude I want us to look at is the opposite of that. I have sinned too much. Now, I do have to say, I think this is where if Christians will ever land in one of the two camps, this is the camp or the attitude I think they will often find themselves in. I've sinned too much to ask for forgiveness from God at this point. I've, I've out-sinned him, if you will. Um, I've been battling with this particular sin for months, and I can't seem to break free of it. Um, every week, every day, I'm kind of falling into it. I'm asking God to forgive me. And like I said earlier, I feel like I'm, I'm insulting God almost. If I ask for forgiveness, he's furious with me. It's, it's, I'm insulting the grace of God each and every time if I just say, hey, would you forgive me? He forgives me, and then I go and do that exact same sin, and I come back. And that is a lot of times the attitude we have. And so I think um, out of almost, uh, I want to give us the benefit of the doubt, almost as like a good, like, okay, well, well, if I don't mean it, I don't want to come before God then, or if I'm going to mess up, then why would I do that? Uh, but it stops us in our relationship with the Lord, and it stops us from asking for forgiveness, period. And I want to speak into that, because I myself have found myself in this attitude constantly. And I want to say, again, I understand because in human relationships, that's kind of how it goes. If my friend continuously wrongs me and then asks for forgiveness and the next day he just keeps doing it, I don't want to hang out with that dude anymore. And that's how human relationships typically work. But God is God. I mean, God is the same being that says this in the Gospel of Matthew. For if you forgive one another when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Matthew six fourteen. he later says, in Matthew 18, 22, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times you should forgive. This is the same God who the psalmists said, you, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Psalm 86, 5. 
Is it the same God who John, the beloved disciple, the man who knew Jesus the best, says, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. And then John Bunyan, my favorite of the Puritans ever, he says this quote. I love this quote. No child of God sins to that degree as to make himself incapable of forgiveness. What does that mean in uh, for us today? It means it is impossible to outsin the grace of God. There will always be forgiveness found. Friends, God will always, always forgive those who cry out. And look again, even at our own text, look back at Psalm 130, verses 3 through 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. If should you mark iniquities, which means he's not counting our wrongdoings. We see later in the writings of Paul, love keeps no record of wrong. The, uh, the psalmist will later say he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. He's not keeping a record book saying, oh, well, I got you on December 1st, um, 1990. You know, he's not doing that each and every time you come to him, you have forgiveness. He is never going to caution us and be like, hey, hey, you got 10 more times, man, and then we're done. You do it one more time, and then I'm leaving. This will never happen. There will never be a time where you come asking for forgiveness for whatever sin, and he withholds his hand from you. All of the Bible, friends, all of the Bible testifies to the instance of God being a forgiving God. You cannot turn a page in the Bible without seeing God and his forgiveness. It is plainly spoken about in the law. It is put on display and into action in the histories and the monarchies. It is sung and rejoiced in the wisdom literature. And it's reminded to us in all of the prophets And it climaxes in the Gospels with the manifestation of forgiveness, that being Jesus Christ. How can we call ourselves believers? How can we study, dedicate our lives to this book and then have the same attitude of, God's not going to forgive me, man? Well, no, he will. He loves you. He cherishes you. He wants to forgive you. And hopefully wherever you land on this, this spectrum of two attitudes of, of forgiveness, uh, you will continue to see that there is a need for it. Because the pain of carrying your sins for so long will eventually crush you. Do not let pride or anything else stop you. There is great, great joy in forgiveness. Which leads us to our second main point. I want to look at the joy of being forgiven. When that heavy weight of sin, that burden of guilt gets lifted off of you, you will experience a level of freedom that you never thought possible. And for so long to feel that painful weight or to be identified by that specific sin in your life and then suddenly in an instant it's all gone? Wow, what a relief. Uh, If you've read Pilgrim's Progress, one of my favorite books, um, also written by John Bunyan. Uh, you may be familiar with the passage um, of this passage when Christian, our main character, um, meets the cross or comes in contact with the cross and his burdens are loosened. But if not, I want to read you just this brief passage here. Um, the burden, the sinful burdens of Christian, our main character, are depicted as this heavy pack or this heavy weight he is carrying constantly. And throughout the entire book, it slows him down and it causes distress and pain. And this is what 
we read, Christian ran thus till he came at a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and a little below, in the bottom, a sepulcher. And so I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosened from his shoulders and fell off his back and began to tumble, and so continued to do so till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher, where it fell in, and I saw it no more. Then was Christian glad and lightsome, and said with a merry heart, He hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. May we also echo those beautiful words every time we get closer and closer to the cross. Now, I want to be very clear here. You are forgiven one time. You are allowed salvation. You are given salvation. You do not have to keep asking for salvation. You have been given salvation. But each and every time we ought to ask for forgiveness from our sins, we reapproach the cross in that instance. I don't want you to say, I want you to hear, when we reapproach the cross, oh, I got to give my life over to Christ again. I lost my. No, 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 no. I'm saying come closer, reorient yourself back to the cross, and your burdens of sin will continuously fall each and every time. We are saved by the cross, by the blood of Christ, and that same blood will forgive our sins. They already are forgiven, past, present, and future, but they will continuously remind us as we step closer and closer to that cross. The burdens of sin are heavy, but that joy that we will experience when we let go of those burdens, let go of those packs, are incredible. The only way that I can think of this in human terms is in college, I used to camp out at Red River Gorge a lot, and there is a place there called uh, Indian Staircase. I don't think you're allowed to go up to this specific part now because it's way too dangerous. A lot of people got hurt from it. Um, but you hike out a long time, um, not a long time, like seven or eight miles or so, or at, least, at least the path that we took, and you get to this giant, I mean, huge rocks, and it's just straight up, extremely steep, and barely any room to put your feet in. I mean, there's like, it's like someone took a shovel and just slightly scraped it against the rock and go, okay, that's where they're going to put their foot. All right, that's where they're going to put their hand. I mean, there's no room there to, to, to mess up. And we all have our heavy, heavy packs on. We're hiking for seven miles, and our desire is to get up there to camp for the night. And we get about five feet up with our packs, and obviously we're too heavy and we can't. So I kind of just like, whoop, and just fall back down five feet. I was fine. But what we ended up doing, and I think this is also a beautiful example of brotherly love and bearing one another's burdens, is each of us, there's about seven of us, climbed up Indian staircase at different points. We left our packs at the bottom, and we all shuffled up our packs one by one so we could get all of our equipment up. And I remember we took those packs up again, walked about 20 minutes or so, and then finally for that last time, you had to drop that burden, drop that pack, and you say, oh, finally, my shoulders hurting, my back hurting, sweating profusely, and finally I can lay down and just look at the stars. That is what I think of, that is what I think Christian felt in Pilgrim's Progress, and that's what I think each and every one of us has the opportunity to feel when we let go of our sins, when we ask for forgiveness from God. We have that immeasurable joy. Looking back in your own life even, look back to where you were before Christ. Do you remember the anger or the hate the, the hopelessness you may have bore, and now look at you now. You may still wrestle with, with sins and these various things, but do you not have a change of heart or a change of attitude? Is your life not infinitely more joyful because you understand you have been forgiven of the sins and that you have salvation? Do you not have a hope? And so too, again, can that same joy penetrate your soul every single time we ask for forgiveness? 
want you to hear the words of, of Psalm 32, verses 1 through 7, which is also a, a beautiful psalm of, of confession and repentance. And here we see the psalmist in physical pain because he has not sought the Lord for forgiveness. And then look at what he says after. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my iniquity of, or forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer praise to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from troubles. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Friends, as we hold on tighter and tighter to these sins that we carry, if whether we think we've sinned too much or not, the longer we hold on to these, our bones are going to waste away. We will be like the psalmist who cries out in agony. We'll be in worse shape than where we started. But look at the, la- the, the rest of this passage. Look at the joy and the beauty that is found when we and when the psalmist seeks forgiveness. He, all he can do is, is cry out in praise. And then looking back again even to our text at 1.30, look again at verses 7 and 8. And this whole time, uh, verses 1 through 6 are describing the psalmist waiting for forgiveness. He's crying out. I mean, look back. He says, I'm waiting, uh, back even in verse 6, more than the watchman for morning. How many has ever worked third shift or at the night? You're just waiting for that shift to leave. Um, I have coworkers of mine in the room here, but when I used to work at the YMCA and I stood for four hours, I didn't work the night shift or anything, but I would just stand still for four hours. I was like, I, I just, I can't wait to go home because I'm just standing still for four hours. That's what I imagine the nightmen and the watch. They're just waiting to go home. They're longing to go home and they're waiting. And the psalmist is saying, I'm waiting for the Lord more than they are. The desire that the watchmen have to go home is, more, is less than what I have waiting for the Lord And then finally we see forgiveness happens. And we see here, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. We see the response. He is forgiven, and you can kind of see him turning around to the nation saying, hope in the Lord. There is steadfast love. There is with him plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. I think these closing two verses give us four beautiful insights into God's character. These aren't in your notes, uh, but I do encourage you to circle these phrases if you write in your Bible or, or write these down um, somewhere in your notes if you want to. Uh, but four uh, characteristics or four insights into God's character we see very quick, quickly. Number one, hope in the Lord. This hope that we are having and the psalmist is calling us to have is not a gambled hope of like, I really hope this works out, but it is a confident hope in the character and nature of God. He will do what he says. We have a confident hope in that. Steadfast love. Steadfast simply means never changing. God's love is dialed all the way up to 100. He will always love you. He will never stop loving you, no matter how many times you slip up. What would we say to the father whose little kid is learning to walk and he takes 
five steps and he just, how come you couldn't make it to six? You're a failure. I hate you. What would we say to that father? Does the father not realistically come up, pick up that child and join? You made it this many steps. Now let's put you back up. Let's keep going. Let's keep walking. Let's see how far we get. Oh, you fell down again. That's okay. I love you. Let's keep going. How does that not sound like God and us. Every time I slip up, God is not just waiting to smack me across the head. He picks me back up. He forgives me of my sins. He says, all right, Nate, let's keep going. We had a good run, but let's keep going. And I'm here with you every single step of the way. That is what steadfast looks like. Number three, plentiful redemption. His ability to redeem us from our sins and pains will never run out. It is an endless fountain. Again, God, again, God will never caution you saying, oh, you got 10 more times left. My patience is wearing very, very thin with you. Now there will always be enough grace and mercy in him. And then lastly, number four, redeem Israel from his iniquities. While the psalmist here is, is speaking directly to the nation, most likely amidst mass idolatry and sinfulness, we also know that the Holy Spirit and the psalmist is speaking to us today. God will forgive our, all of our sins, not just a few and not just the small ones. Like, God, thank you for forgiving me from lying, but when I screamed and yelled and cussed over a bunch over here, yeah, I know you probably won't forgive that because that's probably a little bit more. Or, hey, I stole a bunch of stuff, but I do appreciate you forgiving me for, for whatever. You know, No, all sins are forgiven by God. And if God does this for the nation of Israel that we see that when anytime Israel repents, he forgives. If he does this for the nation of Israel, how much more will he do this for the church? Because understand this, as we read the Bible, Israel in the Bible is a small scale representation of his divine love, power, choosing and forgiveness that explodes on the scene with the church. He forgave Israel and we know, therefore, he will forgive us. All of the scripture testifies to this. And so as we uh, look to close, our final thought this morning, super, super simple. We all need forgiveness in our lives. Again, I don't want anyone here to think, oh, I just don't want to ask for forgiveness, Nate. I can't seem to do it. Because here's what I don't want. I don't want you to leave today thinking you are the exception. I don't want you to think, yeah, Nate, that's all great, but God wouldn't do that for me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my sin. You don't know how many times I've sinned and what I'm sinning. And if you did know, you would look at me differently. You, I don't want you to leave today thinking I am the exception or you are the exception to God's forgiveness. And I want you to know, you're right. I, I, I don't know what you have done in your life. I don't know how you may be struggling. But I do know this, that the word of God is unchanging and it is true. I think we could all agree on that point. And so when I read passages like Psalm 130, when I read passages like Psalm 32 and all the other verses that I've mentioned and alluded to in the Bible that speak to God and his forgiveness, I know that I have no other option than to believe that he will forgive you of all sins. There is nothing you can do to out the grace and the goodness of God. He wants to forgive you. I know that I have to believe that because his word says that. He can, he will, and he wants to forgive.